Welcome to In-Depth Studies Weekend. In-Depth Studies is the teaching ministry of Jeff Volker, which seeks to equip the believer with a theological foundation. All teaching is from the point of view of the doctrines of grace and New Covenant theology. Thanks for joining us today. This is uh, Paul Honeycutt, your host. I'm joined, as always, by Jeff Volker, Director of In-Depth Studies, and we're in a fascinating study right now looking at what the nation of Israel, what do we do with them in the New Covenant era, how do we view them, etc. Last week we were talking about you know, kind of the unbelief of them and so forth, and, and, and I mentioned off air, it reminds me of uh, Romans 9.22, which talks, says, what if God choosing to show his wrath to make his power known, known rather, uh, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? It almost looked like the nation of Israel, they played a role and now they're under judgment, but we looked last week to see that that's not really the case. No, that during the New Covenant era, there is going to be, using the quote from Romans 11.5, a remnant chosen by grace. God is going to save, you know, through the death of Jesus on the cross. They're going to believe. Uh, so that's, that, that is to give Jews hope to be saved. Right. But there doesn't seem to be any, and we'll address this just a little bit later in chapter 11, there, all the national promises to Israel are seem to be tied to the old covenant, and that covenant comes to an end at the cross, which unfortunately means we don't get a cruise <laughs> to Israel with end-up studies yeah. uh, because that's, uh, there is no future promise in that. But let's pick up, as it were, where we left off, which is at chapter 11 in Romans, verse 7, where it says, sort of, they're summarizing, what then? What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain. And the reason they did not obtain it is because they sought it by works, salvation by works, and keeping of the Mosaic law. You can't ever be saved by that means because you have to be perfect. But the elected, that is that small portion of Jews who trusted in Jesus to work for them, that is by his death on the cross, they were saved. The others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so that they could not hear. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. So here's a series of Old Testament quotes, but the bottom line, it just reflects probably the most basic one which you see in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, where Isaiah has that tremendous vision of the throne room of heaven. And, and in, in the midst of that discussion, God, you know, the question is, whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me. Then God says, this is going to be your message. That is, Israel, I'm not going to allow Israel to respond to you. I'm just, I'm going to keep them from hearing, keep them from seeing, so that they will not be saved. That is, it is not God's plan that many Jews come to faith in Christ. That is his plan. And admittedly, we just have to put our cards on the table because from a certain point of view, it seems that God is playing hardball with them. But, But we need to understand that the individual Jew, regardless of when he lived, there was abundant evidence that he ought to come to faith in the sacrificial system in Israel, Uh, the Sabbath day, day of atonement, you name it, all sorts of things. But because he, as a result of Adam's sin, every Israelite, like every one of us, 
comes into this world so affected by that sin that we are now God-haters. We will never desire to come to faith in Christ, to believe the gospel message in any form. We just won't do that. So God has to do it. That is, then God has to choose whom he's going to do it with. And he just reveals sort of behind the scenes. He opened the curtain for us. He just hasn't chosen many Israelites to save. And that is the way it is. Someone says, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, that's really not an issue because the idea of fairness is God holding back from you something that he owes you. And the answer is, I remember the famous statement by R.C. Sproul that the really definition of really justice in Scripture is you're getting what God owes you. And truth is, the last thing you want from God is what he owes you, because mm. he owes you eternal punishment because you're seeing what you want is mercy. You do not want justice. So you don't want from God what he owes you. Right. That's the last thing you want. Yeah, because that, that language there, you know, uh, verses uh, 8 eight and 9, is pretty strong. Very I mean, strong very, stuff. You know, it's, very, it's like a curse. It's like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? But you're exactly right. That's, that is what the Old Testament teaches. That's exactly what David said. That's exactly what is written in Isaiah. And, uh, and when you, like, we've gone back uh, to the law and said, if you don't obey perfectly, I will hunt you down. Yes. I mean, it's some strong stuff. So, Okay, now, with that in mind, let's move on to Romans 11. And it says, again, I ask, Romans 11, 11, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? That is the nation of Israel. Right. He goes, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, that is their rejection of Jesus, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. This is interesting. Once again, Paul's motivation is to try to, you know, cause Jews to want to come to faith in Christ. And he goes, okay, the gospel goes to the Gentiles to make Jews envious because for 1,500 years, the Jews had most favored nation status with God. They had benefits, a bucket load of benefits that the Gentiles never had. But now the Gentiles are getting the benefits of being the real people of God. But verse 12 says, but if their transgression, that is the rejection of Jesus, of the Jews, means riches for the world, because then the gospel went to the world, Mm -hmm. and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? That is, when that portion of God's elect, which are the Jews, that remnant chosen by grace, when they come to faith in Christ, that'll be even all the better. And so you have the gospel going to the Gentiles, which is obvious, but you also have God's promise to save this portion of ethnic Israel. Now, sometimes people take this passage, we're just going to look at it a little bit, Mm -hmm. and when when it says, how much greater riches will their fullness bring, verse 12, you say, ah, well, at the end of the new covenant era, right before the second coming, a great number of Jews are going to come to faith. We're going to address that as we get to 11, 25, and 26 in, in just a, a little bit. But in this context, that's not what that means because that idea even is not even brought up. The only thing that's brought up is Israel is a was unbelieving because they sought salvation by works. But it looks like God's done with him. No, he's not. He's going to save a remnant. Mm -hmm. So then Paul is saying that 
When that remnant comes to faith in Christ, that smaller group of ethnic Jews comes to believe in Jesus, that will be a wonderful thing. Or, or as he uses the phrase, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? Because now the picture of the people of God are becoming the real people of God. Then he says this. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to, um, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? This is the idea, because Israel is as good as dead. Mm-hmm. But he promises to save some. And re- in light of this over 1,500 years of rejection of, we would say, the gospel, there's still going to be some that are going to come. And that'll be all the more remarkable. But once again, Paul's purpose in doing this is to give Jews hope to be saved. That's the idea. Now, in light of that, let's jump to verse 17, because that begins this picture of this tree with this olive tree with the branches. And this is, now here we'll get a little better glimpse of uh, God's plan. It says in verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, that is Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So stop for a moment. What is he saying in that? Okay, the tree is representing the people of God. And, God, and of course, God's his plan of salvation historically always comes through, through the Jews, through Israel, always. And so that's why we see that the earliest, you know, now uh, you know, the bulk of all early believers are all Jews. But he's looking at it from the point of view of evidence. So just because you claim to be in the people of God doesn't mean you actually are. The Jews all believe they're in the people of God. Mm-hmm. But, but Paul says, no, they have been broken off because they don't really believe. Not they've re- rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So he's looking at salvation from sort of like the same perspective as the book of Hebrews. You know, the idea that you profess, but professions are cheap. How do we know the profession is real? Well, the proof is in the pudding. That is, you keep on loving your Lord, living for him, perseverance until you die. That is the evidence that Jesus died for you and paid for your sins. So the perseverance is not the cause of salvation at all, mm-hmm. but it is the evidence that Jesus paid for your sins. Yes, the bearing of fruit. Yes. It's all just some sort of agricultural metaphor he's doing here. Yes, Absolutely. Well, let me ask you something then, because this is fascinating to me. I actually, my uh, my older son's father-in-law actually had a garden at one time, Huntington Beach, California, and he would do this. He would graft in branches from one plant into another, which I found just fascinating with this biblical idea in mind, and it works. It's amazing. But but anyway, when he talks about this, so the root, the root supports you. What is the root? Well, the root would be Israel. 
That is, that's where you do not. Uh, but when do, you when you say Israel, you're talking about all that Israel, true Israel, represents. You're talking about Jesus, who comes out of Israel. I mean, what do you mean you, by that? Okay, that's like, a, that's a good point. You're talking about historically. Okay. You know, granted, God has the. It, God has rejected Israel in the sense that the time of the picture is now over. Mm-hmm. But do not dismiss them because you owe them. You know, the gospel came through Israel to you because the Messiah comes through Israel. Right. Therefore, do not kind of like mock Israel because their rejection of, of Jesus because this is where salvation comes from. You are indebted to them, which that's, is absolutely true. That's why he says, do not be arrogant. Yes, do okay. not be arrogant. Then he says, okay, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you, you, if you don't persevere, have a transformed life, keep loving him until you die, he'll, he'll knock you off also. And once again, it's not that a believer can lose their salvation, not at all, but the looking at it from the point of view of the evidence, the evidence of saving faith is that you keep loving Jesus till you die. You persevere and you are a fruit bearer. And that's, that seems to be the point. Okay. But then it continues in verse 22. He says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, which was the Jews, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Once again, the evidence that Jesus died for you is that you will persevere. Keep loving him till you die. And we know that every believer, every person for whom Jesus died will persevere because Jesus purchased that. We think of Philippians 1, 6, Mm -hmm. he who began a good work in you will keep on doing it until the day of Christ Jesus. There is no way that anyone for whom Jesus dies will not persevere. The problem is, is that we have lots of people who profess to believe in Jesus for whom Jesus did not die for. And so these folks how do you identify them? And the answer is they don't persevere. At least that's one of the ways. And it says in verse 23, and if they do not persist in unbelief, meaning the Jews, if they believe in Jesus, they will be grafted in to the people of God. Absolutely true. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, that is the Gentiles, and contrary to nature, using your garden Mm -hmm. metaphor there from Huntington Beach, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, which would be Israel, how much more readily will these natural branches, the Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree? That is, Paul's point is, hey, it's natural for a Jew to become a believer in Jesus, because your whole history is pointing you in that direction. You've got all the prophets, you've got God's plan, everything. So it only makes sense for a Jew to become believer. It is, it's earth-shattering for Gentiles to become believers because they didn't have nothing. But the Jews had everything. Mm-hmm. Once again, you see his, it seems his under, under our, or maybe we should say overarching purpose in this whole section is to give Jews motivation, mm-hmm. hope to be saved. Mm-hmm. Now, that brings us to the most controversial portion of this Romans chapter 11. And when he says in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brother, so that you may be not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. 
Ah, and so all Israel will be saved. Now, the way this normally is written is that at the end, after the full number of the Gentiles become believers, Mm -hmm. then there's going to be this uh, national outpouring of belief from Israel at the end, and therefore all Israel will be saved. My point is, that's not what it says. So let's walk it through, and I'll try to razzle-dazzle you with my uh, (laughs) theological point of view. Uh, I've got the smoke and mirrors handy. Yes, we always need that. So he says first, he says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Well, he's explained that. During the New Covenant era, from Pentecost to the Second Coming, Romans 11.5, there's only going to be a remnant of Israel who God is going to choose to be to save. Okay, and of course, when the, you tend to think that this means Israel has experienced a hardening in part, okay, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and then, that's not what it says. Right. It simply says Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Ah, now that you just described the New Covenant era. And so... Israel will be saved. It's not then. You could use words like in this way, in this manner, so all Israel will be saved. At this point, he's actually tying a ribbon around an argument he introduced in 9.6. Go back there, because this is where, this is its one seamless argument, 9.10.11, because 9.6 says, it is not as though God's word had failed. Looks like it has, because Jews don't buy Jesus. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. He said, whoa, you cannot equate the literal Israel with the real people of God. That's not how it works. God has to choose those who are going to become the real people of God, and he doesn't choose many Jews. That's what we've seen up to this point. So when the full number of the Gentiles that God chooses become believers— and that remnant of ethnic Jews that God chooses to become believers, when they all come to faith, then all Israel will be saved. That is, Israel, the real people of God, of which literal Israel, physical Israel, was a picture of. So this is really just tying a knot on what he said in 9, 10, 11. He's not introducing anything new. He's just explaining. And we know that... He then goes on to quote a couple of passages where it says in verse 26, he says this, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, both of these passages are what we would call... uh, I'm sort of groping here for a second. Those are the regathering of Israel back into the land passages, which we see all through the prophets. The problem is, is that every place where they're mentioned up to this point, like seven places, they always are. They never refer to literal Israel in in the physical land of Palestine. They refer to a spiritual Israel, the church, going to a land that doesn't end, which is heaven, then new heavens, new earth. So here, he's simply describing that the real Israel of God of what is the elect, mostly Gentiles, a little bit of Jews, of which the natural physical Israel was a 
unbelieving picture of. And then it goes on to say, he says this, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. That's the Jews. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, meaning God, if, if they are, if a portion of them are part of the elect, then God is going to save them. He's going to show his love. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That is, he promises to save a real people of God of which a portion comes from ethnic Israel. Then notice this, well, verses 30 to 32. He says, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. This is the Gentiles. You were disobedient. The gospel came to you because the Jews rejected it. Now you've become obedient. You've believed. So they too have now become disobedient. Notice the time frame. He's talking about New Covenant era. Mm-hmm. They too have now become disobedient in order that do, they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. He's talking about now. See, what, he's, what he has been describing, particularly we're talking about verses 25 and 26, this is not something, this is something that's taking place now. So what is taking place now? The bulk of the folks who are becoming believers are Gentiles. A small group are Jews. When the full number of Gentiles and Jews that God has chosen to save come to faith in Christ, then the end shall come. Then we will have the full complement of the real people of God, the real Israel of God, of which literal Israel was an unbelieving picture of. And so it says in verse 32, For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That is, God is going to save a people through the death of Christ. And then he closes with this doxology, which is really amazing. Because who would have ever thought he would do it this way? Mm-hmm. Who would ever thought that he would use Israel as a 1,500-year year unbelieving illustration? And then at the end of the illustration, it looks like he's absolutely done with them, but he goes, no, I'm still going to use them a little way. And I'm surprising you at every turn in the road. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever." Amen. And so people sometimes criticize, why did God do it this way? And we would say we're, that we are invoking the all-wise God principle, mm-hmm. that our God who's all-wise, he's good, he's sovereign, that if there was a better way to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, he would have done that. By definition, this is the best way to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And so we need to praise him for doing it this way. That is, Israel had a unique role in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, but it wasn't believing. It was a picture. After Pentecost, until the second coming, the new covenant era, he's still going to save some, not a lot, a remnant chosen by grace. So we, you know, we, he's, but Paul is driving home this whole section to give Jews hope because it looks like they have been absolutely rejected. And Paul says, no, 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 guys, that's not true. I'm a Jew. 
I'm a believer in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's at least for the argument. So we we have two minutes to go in this discussion well, to sort of yeah, and, and wrap this up. And thinking back to Acts, you know, which we've just you mentioned, we've spent a couple of years going through here at our church. They, it's fascinating because in addition to giving hope to the to the Jews, he's also reminding the Gentiles who would have been reading this, right? Because it would have been both Gentile and Jew reading this in Rome when this letter was written and sent out, uh, to not, as they said, you know, don't become arrogant, don't, don't, don't look down on the Jews necessarily, because he is going to save some of them. Yes. Not a lot, but he's going to save some. And you are indebted to the Jews for your salvation. Right. right. Absolutely true. Right. Which, again, gets, takes us all the way back to all that Old Testament. You know, why is that important? Why We talked about this when we were looking at the Hebrew passages a number of weeks ago, and I kept saying, it just strikes me that if I don't cl- clearly understand the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and all that went on there, and have a clear picture of who Israel was then, I'm going to miss the significance uh, when I come forward into these passages. Absolutely true. So if you would turn just a moment yeah. uh, to the very end of Galatians 3. We've done this before, but let's just go back and review for a second. Where it says, 329, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you are the real children of Abraham, of which Israel was a picture of, and you get the promise. What's the promise? The land, which is eternal life. Heaven, the new heavens, new earth. Israel got... Palestine, rocks and weeds, which was not bad, but let's face it, nothing in comparison to the real fulfillment of which the real Israel of God if you have gets. Any questions about today's program, want more information, or would like to support our ministry, you can find us on the web at ids.org or call us at 480-924-4290 or email Jeff at jeff.volker at ids.org. 